Episode 168 Above Ground Podcast, Life is a Highway with Peter Van Winkle. Disclaimer, the hosts of this podcast, Timothy Patrick and Will Foley, are by no means medical professionals. However, having lived experience with mental illness themselves, they have gained useful perspectives on common mental health issues that some of us struggle to overcome on a daily basis. By sharing their stories, they hope to create connection. By creating connection, they hope to help you find your purpose. And through purpose, we can all begin to build the foundation for positive mental health. This is Above Ground Podcast. Coming at you live with real conversations about mental health from the peer perspective, it's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now your hosts, TPP and Will Foley. Hey, what is up everyone? Welcome to episode 168 of Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast, because you can't serve below our interview with Peter Van Winkles coming up right after I go through a couple of important things. First off, thank you to everyone who came out to the Summer on Central Concert Series on Saturday. The Summer on Central Concert Series was brought to you by Nippertown WAMC, which happens to be the 518 NPR public radio station. The Linda, which happens to be their performance space, put on an incredible four-week concert series with some incredible bands. An above-ground podcast bookended the concert series, and we were there this past Saturday and had some really cool conversations, met a lot of cool people. Thank you so much for coming by, stopping by the booth, saying hi, coming out and supporting the band, supporting Nippertown, supporting local music, supporting your community. And in that area where that location is, is a pretty heavy traveled location, and there's a lot of homeless people that live down by there, and there's just all kinds of people in that community that really could use those services and, and do utilize some of those services. And then tonight, we are going to be at the Hangar on the Hudson in Troy, New York for the For the Love of Stephen for the Lost Benefit and Fundraiser. Today, August 31st, is International Overdose Awareness Day. As we know in this country, the opioid epidemic has reached proportions that no one probably ever thought about except for the people who've manufactured a lot of this stuff and especially for the people who are selling fentanyl and, and swinging fentanyl and killing people like it's just all about money it's just all about money and not about caring about people and taking advantage of a bad situation and getting your profit margins up the little tiny tiny salt granular amount that it takes to kill you is just damn scary so tonight, the for the love of Stephen, for the lost benefit, uh, Stephen passed away suddenly July 31st, 2020, leaving behind his family and his three children and many friends. There's going to be music. Uh, the lineup is Curious Comet. That's Nikki Chaos's alt-rock duo, uh, the band Raisin Head, and also New York, Brooklyn, New York band Lizzie and the Makers. Uh, that's going to be an awesome bill i can't wait to see nikki i haven't seen her in a long time so big shout outs to nikki and please come out 20 dollar donation at the door 6 p.m the doors are 7 p.m show let's come out let's support come get your resources above ground podcast will be there with substance abuse resources and mental health resources come on out support show your face say hello and let's not lose more people 
Okay, get Narcan trained. There's Narcan trainings out there now, especially. So please go get Narcan trained, and let's save some souls, man. Let's not lose any more people. So tonight, hang around the Hudson. Hope to see you all right now, episode 168, Peter Van Winkle. Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast, because you can't serve below. No, you cannot. What's up, TPP? Good Sunday morning to you, buddy. Likewise. What's going on, buddy? Ah, you know, having a little Joe, still shaking out the cobwebs from a road trip last night to go see Behemoth. Uh, <laughs> hail, hail Satan. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a good show, man. Good show. Good time. Good food. Like got to meet some cool people. It was it was cool. it was Good. it was worth it was worth the road trip, man. Sometimes you need those solo roadies. And yeah. and speaking of solo roadies and the road and the highway and just all kinds of stuff, uh this morning we are joined by Peter Van Winkle, who is a is a men's coach. He is a men's uh group leadership fac- facilitator and uh he's he's a musician, he's a dad, he's uh he actually and we've got a good connection because of where I grew up and where he went to college and stuff. So there's a little bit, there's a lot of parallels that go on here, man. Peter, thank you very much for joining us this morning. And again, being two hours difference, I apologize for dragging your ass on the screen at 7 a.m., man. <laughs> no, not a problem. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you, man. So Welcome. Um, I, I'm, I really want to get right to the meat of it because uh, Timmy, Timmy loves to use the metaphor for us as a as a as a car and mm-hmm. you wouldn't let your car happen to not have the oil changed and that's kind of the way we look at ourselves we got to look at our thoughts we got to look at our patterns we got to look at our emotions we got to look at our physical health and i recently watched something that you had talked about where you talk about life is a hot like life is a three-lane highway and i kind of mm-hmm. wanted to start right there man because there was some really interesting stuff that i heard you say in that like four minutes that i heard and i was like wow that's a really cool way to look at it Wow. Yeah. It's crazy what stays on the internet. Like I remember talking about that a few years ago and that that was a minute ago. (laughs) I think, I think in that thing, I was talking about the idea that like moving yourself from uh, sort of being uh, called reactive in the right lane and then to being sort of, I mean, maybe uh, I guess being creative and proactive in the left lane. And I was experiencing that in my life of, of shifting from, the right lane of being kind of like getting pushed around by life, getting, getting moved by, you know, whatever happened to me and, and sort of like other people dictating and what happened to me. And then realizing I really wanted to get this into a place where I could actually, could, could I really create, could I, could, could I make the, the life the way I wanted it to be and, and trying to shift it over into the left lane for whatever that meant for me personally. And, and that was what I was working on at that time. And, um, it's cool to have that brought back because it has me wonder, like, am I still in the left lane? How am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> I, You know, it's funny because when I heard you use that metaphor, I was like, yeah, I guess we kind of all in reality in certain parts of our life are all playing Frogger. Because right. I, I find that certain parts, like, I, I don't know if I've ever been fully in the in the fast lane the whole time. You mm. know what I mean? I think I've kind of, I think we spend a lot of time shifting lanes. And do you think that that may be part of our problem that maybe once we do find, do we get scared? Do we get, is it, is it that traffic stops us up ahead? Like what's like, what stops us from staying in the fast lane? Well, that's a good question. And I mean, the fast lane isn't always fast either. Is it if we're talking about the left lane being 
proactive and creative. The fa- the left lane may, in this metaphor, actually be even slower in some ways because to me, it doesn't have to be fast to be. And I know you're not saying this, but just you know, for the for the listener, it doesn't have to be fast to have it be useful or to have it be soul directed, which is how I've come to think of that left lane. And I think what what bumps us out of that is a lot of what you mentioned. You know, fear a sense that we have to be doing something it may be like the internalized voices of our parents or our parents extra still talking to us or um our community or people that we're we're feeling like we have to be like i mean i still you know i don't know if we're ever done with it but but there's definitely times where i find myself wrapped up in uh you know i'll come home and i'll say to my partner something like uh I don't think that person likes me very much. And, and then she, and we'll kind of go down this hole for like 20 minutes. And, and, I'm, and, and she's kind of like, you know, I mean, it's like, so, I mean, I'm still just as obsessed as the next guy with like whatever bullshit, you know, is just got me sort of not directing my life. It's like, that doesn't matter, Peter. Like what, what, you know, keep going. Like what's next, you know? Do we ever get out of that bullshit, though? I mean, isn't that because right. I think isn't that the challenge of life is to let the bullshit come up and see how we can and play tennis with it and hit it back and forth over the net, maybe in a way. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Like the point, I think it, it's totally fine to. Well, the way I the way I look at a lot of this, um, the way I see it, I mean, in terms of mental health, in terms of the way you guys are framing it, which is really I like it about like living a functional life, living a life that is you know, um, uh, high performing in that way of the car, you know, is to not stop ever being neurotic or having neurotic voices or parts, but to just be aware of them as parts and to engage them and to sort of roll your eyes and laugh at them and go, well, there's my, there's my, you know, sensitive part, or there's my paranoid part, or there's my, my warriors coming out, my, 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 uh, my critical part, or, or, or there's my perfectionist. So there he goes again. And, and, just kind of like, you know, uh, I think it was Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. So to examine our lives is not necessarily to solve them. It's simply to, like you said, hit it back over the net and recognize the dy- the dynamism that, that we're born with. Uh, you know, I mean, I have lots of quotes, but there's another one that, that makes sense to me, which is, you can't get rid of the family skeleton, the skeleton in the family closet, but you can make it dance. You know, it's just to recognize like, this is what I came in with and it's okay. But if I hang on to that and embody that and see myself through that lens and, and don't let it go, don't shake it off, then there can be an issue. You know, then there can be a bit of a, then it's not this less functional and less soul directed. Absolutely. I think you, um, I think you really nailed it with, it's, it's similar to like talking about attachment, right? We can, we can accept these things, but it doesn't mean that by accepting them doesn't mean that that's what we are. That's what all we do It's just saying, these are the hurdles that I have, or this is, this is the direction of the road. There's a curve ahead, but you know, if I pay attention to what I'm doing and worry about what lane I'm in, then that should be our focus, right? Because you, you, I've said this to Will just recently is, you know, how hard is it to change your own mind? can you imagine trying to change somebody else's mind? Right. Right. You know, we can put stuff out there. Sure. But, you know, put it out there and then, you know, close the door if you have to and just keep driving. Yeah. It sounds like you're just saying, keep it on your side of the road. Recognize the wisdom that I hear in your statement is like, once you realize how hard it is to change your own mind, therefore you're not going to waste your time changing someone else's mind. 
you recognize that just being up against recognizing our own sort of foibles is work enough. And that being that we're going to try to recognize our foibles, we're not going to try to solve it or change it, but uh, be with it and direct it. And at times um, ask it to gently, you know, get out of the driver's seat to, you know, that when the little boy is driving the bus, you know, tearing down the, the, the highway, it's like, well, I'm going to, how about the father is going to come in and drive or the adult of me or the soul of me is going to drive because when you drive, um, th- this is how the relationship goes. And this is how the, the, the job goes. And this is how the, you know, the argument with the boss goes and it's not good. So, and yeah. and having that self-compassion and that self, that sense of, I mean, I, I, one of the biggest things we can have that it's so hard for men to get is this sense of, I heard David White once say it as, you know, put a, put a, wrap an arm around yourself and just say, it's not going so well, is it? And he had this wonderful way of describing it that made it sound like, because it's really hard for us to admit that we're off or that we're, we're coming at something from, a, from an unhealthy perspective and to be able to just, to just go like, oh, gosh, I'm kind of. I'm kind of losing it or I'm kind of off or I'm, I'm kind of struggling or this is kind of what I do and is so hard for men because of the whole sort of framework around shame and the framework around, you know, trying to not look bad that if we can just get that one thing in there to just, just go like, gosh, I'm, and, and have that sort of third person perspective with ourselves and that compassion that can go so far to helping us get to the place that we're talking about, because then you start to not trying to make everything perfect. You start trying to not trying to conceal the ways that you're off or not having a good day. And man, if you can just accept uh, sort of our, your foibles, it's like, then you can go really far because we are just foibles in a way. Absolutely. That's, that's like more than half the battle really is, you know, kind of uncovering it, you know? Totally. As Will says we're we're all we're all in recovery from something. Yeah, we're all in recovery from something, regardless. Nice. Recovery is one of those things that is just sort of you're always in recovery from something, and that's the one thing that I think that we can take away from any of our interactions is that regardless of who we are or where we are, we all come. We all have adversity. We've all faced adversity. We're either mm. coming out of adversity getting over adversity or heading into an adversity a lot of times some mm. of us and we find common ground in the in the middle somewhere but we're always going to face another thing we're always going to face mm. another challenge i don't think life ever gets to be unchallenged does it i don't know i don't think so i mean i it's almost <laughs> like when you when you ask that question it throws me off because it's like the one of us the, again back to the parts the one of us who wants it to be without challenge it's so sort of suspicious it's sort of like like you why I mean? would you like, want that? <laughs> yeah, or like, and 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 what map of reality are you are you sort of uh, referencing that has you think that that just up ahead it's going to all be gone forever? I mean, sure, there's the, this sort of vague concept of enlightenment and all this kinds of thing, but and maybe that is coming, but the one of you who is needing it to be that way or saying it must be or whatever that that attachment to outcome is suspicious if we have that well so what i hear you is kind of prepping yourself for what yeah right and therein lies our problem is that we our attachment as as the buddhists say you know that's where all our problems are is being attached to all these things and we just gotta kind of let it go and do what we do and find our way and 
and not try to cause ourselves any more suffering than we need to. Yeah. I I really want to kind of touch on this because I've been um I've recently started listening to some Dr. Joe Vitale who I'd never really listened to before, but but I've and and this has come up and I saw this on your website. Uh it's petervw.com. Um, I, where you talk about the soul and I really want to ask this question, how do we know when it's our soul talking? Totally early on when we begin the work or when we're caught in, let's say a relationship that is challenging, it can be hard to hear the voice of the soul. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you're in a relationship, we're in a relationship and let's say I'm in a relationship and the relation and I, you know, and, and um, it's kind of one of these, you know, you, Tim, you referenced attachment. It's one of these push-pull dances where let's say I'm, uh, so I was, oh my gosh, I, I got to get out of this relationship. I cannot be in this relationship anymore. It's not good for me. It's not good. So, so I break up with her. And then after a few days, I think, oh my gosh, or a week, like, I can't, I can't believe we did this again. No, 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 this time. Oh, I got to have you back. We got to get back together. And then you get back together. And then a few days or a week later, it's like, oh my gosh, I got to get out of this relationship. Right. So it's like each time you may, if someone were to ask you, do you want to be back in the relationship? And you say, yes, I, I got to get back in the relationship. Is that your soul talking? Yes, it's my soul talking. And then a week later, I got to get out of this relationship. Is that your soul talking? Yes, it's my soul talking. <laughs> so it's like we have this um, tendency to orient around getting rid of pain. And that the, the more we, this is how it has been, it has been in my life. The more we are directing our lives to get away from pain, the less likely it is that we're hearing a voice of soul. And so in that example of where I am, I've got to, I've got to get out of the relationship. Then once I get out of the relationship, I've got to get back in the relationship. Then I got to get back out. Each time, what's actually driving me is this sense of I can't stand this pain, right? I can't stand the pain of being in. I can't stand the pain of being out. I can't stand the so the voice, if you will, that is that is that is driving me is sure it's a very deep voice. Maybe it feels like a, a very sort of core voice, but it's actually a different voices. But the fundamental sort of meta level uh, dynamic that's taking place is. I can't handle the pain and the discomfort. And so then what's needed there is to be able to pick a pain, you know, in or out and, or, 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 or total honesty with her. Hey, listen, I, I'm a mess. I've got guys that want to be in. I've got guys that want to be out. Um, one day I want to be with you. The next day I don't, you've noticed that, but um, I can't commit. And then even better, I won't commit. Like, obviously I'm, I'm not going to say that it's not that I'm a, I'm a victim of, and so do you see where I'm going is what I'm starting to do is I'm starting to take responsibility for my parts. I'm not saying I'm a victim of my parts because some guys will then take the next step and they'll go, okay, I've got awareness of my parts. And then they'll go, well, I would commit, but I can't because, you know, I, I, I just can't. I'm, 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 I'm a mess. I can't like, I would if I could, but I can't because, well, that's not, since that's not all the way there, that's, that might as well not be there at all. The next step would be to say, I got a part that's a little boy and a lover and he loves to be with you and he wants to be in. Um, I've got a wild man and a hermit and um, just, just a, a kind of other part and he can't stand to, and, 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 and he, he wants to be out. And so what I'm going to tell you is 
because I'm responsible for all these guys in here, I won't commit. I actually won't commit. It's not that I can't. I, I'm, I'm telling you that I'm proactively taking responsibility for all these guys and not going to put you through that. I won't commit. And so now what I've done is I've taken responsibility for the crazy. And then what can start to emerge after I've become willing to see and be and take ownership for all the guys that are talking. I mean, in, in recovery, you mentioned recovery, they talk about fearless moral inventory. I mean, this is a fearless moral inventory to be aware of who all is talking. And then what can slowly come up is now that I, I'm no longer running from pain and I'm no longer running to the savior outside of me, the woman's arms or, or the other woman or whatever, the grass is greener. Now that that can't um, tempt me anymore and I'm, I'm not sort of beholden, like I can actually be trusted not only by others, but by myself. Then a voice can start to emerge. What do I actually want? And we start to learn through meditation, through being really quiet through being really still, when we can't be rocked by pain or by circumstances or by, in the Buddhist term, causes and conditions, we're just sitting. Then a voice starts to emerge and we start to think, oh, I actually think that, well, I actually know what I want to do next. And that gets closer to what I think of as the soul. Right. So in, in essence, kind of, um, kind of quieting the mind and quieting the outside world a bit, you know, you know, shutting down those extrinsic voices, so to speak, can can help clear out the uh, the soul that speaks to us. Yeah, we have to we have to we have to we have to deal with the um, the ways that we're sort of on the take or co-optable by our our pains or our addictions or you know sort of what's the word like our our campaigns to once and for all get the girl or once and for all have this or this situation have like once once we are no longer influenceable by that campaign and by those programs and we're just willing to sit through it only then can we begin to trust what comes up from underneath that and so in a way it's kind of an initiatory process of of meeting our humanity and being with it rather than coming from it. How do we know? Well, I, we, we've talked a lot about cognitive distortions and we're going to talk more about cognitive distortions going on Timmy and I, cause we, we, we tend to have a lot of cognitive distortions and I, I, for myself, I know that, that a lot of those are part of my issue. How do we start to, when we feel like we've lost trust in ourselves or feel like we can't trust ourselves, how do, what's the first question we need to ask ourselves to, to, to get us back to a point of being able to be receptive to information that our energy is trying to give us? Nice. Yeah. And so that's a place where if I hear someone's like in, in that, uh, what I imagine is going on there is that you, let, let, let's just say you are not sure you can trust what you're thinking, right? And so you might be sort of running through a list of, of, of things that you want to do. And there's a sense of like, how do I know that's true? How do I know that's true? And so I would personally call that guy a part. And I would say, so here comes my, my questioner. There's, uh, on the one hand, a sort of frantic 
need to know and a, and a fear that like, I'm going to get it wrong. And on the other hand, there's kind of an analyzer who's just bringing up sort of option after option, generating reports, so to speak, and saying, well, we could do this, we could do this. And what I would then say is my imagining is that the reason why these, these guys, so if I'm in that body, if I'm in that experience, it's like, okay, I'm overwhelmed. Okay. I don't know what to do. Yes. I've had the experience of, of making a choice and it being wrong. So I know that I don't always know. What do I know? And then I might say, I know the body. I know my breath. I know. And so I would, I would work to, to bring things back to a kind of elemental sense of calm, because this is the fundamental truth. When you, we say, I, I've lost trust in myself, that's a story. And if I live that story, I'm beholden to the guy who wrote it in me. And he probably wrote it because he has an agenda, because underneath that story is, this, is the fundamental truth, and that is, what do I trust? I trust my body. I trust the earth. I trust the process of unfolding. Um, I trust the God of my understanding or of, of, of a higher power, if that resonates for me. And for me personally, I trust, I trust my body. And so if I'm in that place where I'm saying, you know, I heard what someone once say, and they were speaking in terms of, you know, if you're going to be an activist for some cause, whatever it could be, any, it said, if you're getting into it and you, and you think, I don't know what to do, right. And you're, you're sort of like, over, then you're already lost because you've gotten, you've gotten caught up in this idea that you have to know what to do. And it's the same with this. I would say, if you're caught up in the, in the story of, I don't trust myself then fundamentally you're kind of lost because you're, you, you, you're living by the story that you have to know what the right answer is in order to proceed. And you don't. You can find your sense of embodied trust and go from there. Is that another way of being caught by perfectionism? Is that totally. like another op? Like, because I've always been confused by perfectionism. Because when I think of perfectionism, I think that I'm thinking that everything has to be perfect with whatever it is you're working on, but not necessarily that everything has to be perfect within you. And I never, it's just become sort of that insight recently in, in recent years as I've done dug deeper into myself that what perfectionism really is, is you're just worrying for everything to be perfect, not just yourself, but everything to just give you permission to do something. Well, it's, that's a great insight. It is that perfectionist part, because if you're saying, I don't know what to trust, underneath that is a deeper story, as you can, as you're saying, is something like, I need to know that this, that, that, that what it is I'm going to do is going to be without risk or without the possibility of failure or without the possibility of making a mistake or hurting someone or hurting myself or whatever. And, you know, perfectionists, a lot of times, you know, these are the, this is the type of part in us that will have us say, well, I'm not going to launch the podcast until I have the perfect name and the perfect microphone and the perfect this or perfect that. And that's kind of what you were talking about. But then inside us, that same guy can go to work on a personal decision. I'm, I'm not going to, I don't know what to do about this relationship. How do I know who to trust? And so it, it, it sort of freezes us. It freezes us. And like I say, the, the lie of that is that there is some truth to discover 
rather than recognizing there is absolutely fundamental truth right now. And I 100% have access to that. But it's not about me succeeding or me solving my problems or me, or me getting away from pain. In fact, it may have to do with me feeling the discomfort of, oh, shit, I don't know what to do and I don't know what the right choice is, but can I be with that? Can I grok that discomfort? Then a way will open. It's almost like we have, again, back to attachment. We have to be uncompromised by our attachment to whatever the, the perfection of the outcome or the, the, you know, whatever our particular hook is. Is it, does it stem from a lack of attachment that we start these processes? Because a lot of this, a lot of these stories that we tell ourselves start at a very, very early age, start right yes. from the get-go because we're indoctrinated into all kinds of stuff. And then we also, we're also given all our ancestral stuff and then our family mm -hmm. stuff and our parents stuff that haven't, because I mean, I'm, I just turned 50. So like our parents, they weren't working on themselves like today. Right. And I, you know, and then when you throw a severe persistent mental illness in one of your parents on top of that, that throws a whole lot of stuff on and you throw addiction, you throw all kinds of stuff in and trauma and all that kinds of stuff. How, is it, does it really stem from our lack of attachment to individuals that brought us or is it a lack of attachment to ourselves or is it too much attachment to ourselves that we're so afraid that we're like a deer in headlights yeah i mean all, all i think all sort of neurosis or all of the ways that we you know get into our, our own way and the ways that we've been discussing all you might say all the kinks and problems under the hood um come from uh attachment uh you know um it, 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 here's how here's how i think about it um, if I have a, a perfectionist part, if I have a critical part, if I have a, a, let's just start with those two, right? If I have those going on, it may be that my parents had that. And so in a way, genetically, I come by it honestly, like I've got an overactive brain, you know, I, I've, I've got a very analytical mind. Um, I come in with these things, but then you, so it's neat. That's the nature part, but then it's, then the nurture attachment part is you take that guy you know, that baby coming in with that, that genetics, that's probably going to find a way to express itself. And ideally you'd want it to express itself in a useful way, but then the parents um, are disorganized in their own sort of sense of felt safety and, and are kind of, yeah, um, dropping the ball, so to speak um, in moments and uh, our attachment, you know, I'm, I'm sort of sticking myself into your framework, but I, it, it works in, in that sense of like, having the experience as children of not being secure of feeling that mom or dad is, is, um, you know, not, uh, sort of trustworthy and just in an embodied place of a way of, of being wounded in that way. Now the, that, that fundamental sense of disorganized attachment is going to express itself through our particular, uh, genetics and our way of being. And so, you know, what one guy might occur as sort of, uh, suicidal and morose and depressed. The next guy could occur as homicidal and calculating and analytical. Same wound, different expression. But yes, I think however we're expressing our particular crazy is coming from a fundamental. And that's why one of the sort of core steps of healing, in addition to what I said earlier, which is taking responsibility for the guys talking, which would be like, yes, I have a perfectionist. Yes, I have a critical guy. Yes, yeah, there I go again, is to 
and this is again so hard it goes back to that other piece i said around around self-compassion because it, it touches the shame part but we have to do it is to be able to hold that little boy who was not held who was you know sort of tragically un uh, nurtured in those critical ways and begin to nurture him and re-raise him and be with him and above all feel the wound and the the just sort of awful um, pain that he feels for what he experienced. And then when we can do that, he can actually, we can actually change history and he can sort of become more mature and become a little bit more attached. And, and then you talked about being attached healthily to ourselves. And I think that's how we build that. Where does fear begin? Is fear innate in all of us and it's, and it's expressed more easily or does it start from something does it start with a again like a lack of attachment or or that and i i because again fear i don't want to use fear in the thing but where does fear begin i mean i i think you, you hit it there like you know it, it again we, we can be f some fearful people like we can come in with a kind of tendency towards fear but then uh have it sort of um heightened by an early experience of being endangered in one way or another. So the, the, the more interesting question is being with fear, how do we be with fear and how do we, how do we be with fear? And, and my, my view more or less is face it, but face it in a way that isn't trying to be, um, that isn't reckless, you know, I'm going to heroically take this plant medicine or this psychedelic and for once and for all face all my demons and my fears. Well, maybe, but maybe not. That might not be the right, the right path for someone who is not totally ready for such a dive. And so where fear comes from, I mean, I think you're asking more in like in the individual and it's like, yeah, the, the, those core experiences of being endangered, how we deal with it though, is um, we have to take responsibility. One of the things that we, want, we might want, want to do is we want to blame our parents or whoever and say, well, I'm just a fearful person or I don't do that because I want to, be a, I want to get it right or this or that. But at the end of the day, it's super tempting to blame the, the, our inability to get life right on something else rather than just saying like, wow, it's really my responsibility to deal with the ways that I'm scared. And that's just me. I'm not going to get it right. And that, that's a big step in maturity. Maybe that's the ultimate fear is that we're afraid we are going to get it wrong. Is that maybe totally. the ultimate fear? For some people, I mean, not everyone, you know, there are some that women are afraid of, of, of being, some women may be afraid of being physically vulnerable. Some others might be afraid of being left alone. Some men might be afraid of, of being harmed by other men physically. Some men might be afraid of being dominated uh, either intellectually or physically or, or uh, in other ways, uh, you know, I mean, everybody has a different fear and it depends on how we orient. But the one that you're sort of, it seems like moving around or talking about is this fear of, of yeah, get, getting it wrong or not having it right or not knowing what to do. That, that particular fear probably has something to do with you know, the, the message in your, in your family might've been something like, if you, you know, don't get it right, 
then you're in trouble or then then we're going to the, the love is dependent on your ability to get it right or something like that. Well, it's almost transactional in a way in a lot. Of yes, things. like almost exactly. looking at it. And it's almost set up a thing where everything is transactional. Like it's the pro bono, totally. you know, not the pro bono, but the, you know, the. The, Quid pro quo. Yeah, the, yeah, there we go. And I should know this because I've heard that a million times. But um, yeah, exactly. And, the prid quo, the prid quo pro. It almost even... sounds like it. It's always going back to that same. Uh, you mentioned before the stories. You know, it's it's it seems like it always ends up going back to the stories that we tell ourselves. Totally. You know, whether it's fear, whether it's love, whether whatever it is, you know, whether it's goal setting, well, I can't, I can't set this goal because I can't, and whatever that story is you're telling yourself is what is really seems to be the, the foundation. Yeah. It's like, is, is the story based fundamentally, like what we were talking about, so the sort of like subtext, like, is the story just fear in a story form or is the fear um, a story I'm telling myself, right? Like I'm telling myself, like I can't do this thing or this thing. Isn't that just me being scared of making a mistake? Or if I feel scared, isn't that just a story that's saying like, uh, well, I have to get it right or else. And I think you guys are really, really cleverly finding your way into this sort of universal experience that men have and people have of getting caught up in the sort of mishigas of our, of our, of our rational and, 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 and that's why I say to clients, like, it's not enough to just become aware of all of this stuff. You have to go the next step, which is to take responsibility for it and then to learn how to identify it. it, sit in it. Yeah, apply it and, and quiet it down. Like peace is not a result. Like, you know, people will get to this point and they'll go, okay, I, I, I have all this fear and I have these stories. And then it's like, I can't get out of it. Well, then you have to then then we have to to talk about how to find peace, how to find a sense of direction, how to find a sense of intention, because it's almost more painful to know the ways that we're crazy and not be able to sort of interrupt it. Yeah, and that's I, why you know. <clears throat> go ahead. I kind of no, I was just I don't mean to interrupt you. I just I kind of tend to for this is a personal. I kind of, um, you know, when people like search for peace or search for happiness and looking for, and I try to, um, totally. I try to not try to not say like, that's the destination. Like peace isn't the destination. Let's make peace part of the journey. Beautiful. You know, totally. I just feel like, because we, then you're always, ser- you're always searching. And I think in this culture, you know, with the media and all this other, you know, extrinsic stuff happening, that's like, we're always searching. We're always searching for the better mm. thing. We always want more and we always, you need a purpose. So go out there and find your purpose. And right. I think that can be, I think that can have adverse effects on, on some people. Well, I couldn't agree more. I just said this to a client yesterday because he said to me something like, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm exhausted from doing this. And you know, I'm, I'm, you know, broken up with this woman and I'm not calling her and I feel like I can't take it anymore. I'm in withdrawal and so on. And, and I said, what's one thing you can do to find a greater sense of peace. And I forget what he wrote back, but it was something like, it's basically like you're saying like, well, peace is this thing that I'm going to get to. And I said to him, peace is not a result. Like peace is an action right now because to get him to recognize that we make peace. The problem is people want the whole peace. 
and just take a piece of piece. <laughs> That's all you need right now. That's great. Take a piece that, of pizza. It's like pizza. <laughs> You're right, though. I mean, that is great. That is that's you know we laugh, but that's uh, that's good. I like that a lot, and I think it's there's a lot of truth to that for sure. You know, depending on where the person is and and where you know not only where they are but where they are in their mind and the, on their journey. Totally. Yeah, I'm going to take a quick diversion um, uh, off this for a minute because I I want to kind of find out about your groups, your men's groups, and right. Can you, can you just tell us a little bit about like how they go and, and what your kind of goal is, I guess. And, and, you know, yeah, well, I haven't done, I don't have any go in right now. Um, I've been toying with doing one. I just had a baby. So, I mean, that was 18 months ago. So there I go with my own version of, of, of perfectionism. <laughs> it definitely is not perfect, but uh, the groups I do, I do online. I've done online format and I do in person. For me, the, the goal of a group is to bring us into a kind of, it's like to bring us into a group experience. And why is a group experience helpful? Well, the group experience is going to give us, if we're, if we're able for it, if we're going to show up for it, if we're cour- courageous enough to share, um, you know, men normalizing um, how we are in our emotions, how we are in our struggles in life. And what I get interested in is how we are with each other, because so much of the, the sort of, uh, you might I mean, I almost say like um, the problem, the cultural problem is the story that we're propping up as men that uh, is, is sort of maintained in the way that we project on each other. Like he has it all together and I don't, or I'm scared of him. Or look what he's doing. Uh, how dare he? I can't do that. But all this stuff, we sort of weaponize it and militarize it and take it underground. And then we end up uh, sort of carrying out the big story of the patriarchy, which is this sort of uh, separation, this, this fundamental belief that we're separate and that therefore we have to gather our resources and protect ourselves from each other in all these ways, emotional, physical, mental. And what a men's group can do is help us to tear down that story of separation and begin to realize I am just uh, the same as you. I'm, uh, you're, you're just as um, insecure as I am. You're just as fearful. And then recognize that actually the project is not, you know, I mean, for some reason I'm going in a kind of prepper direction, but it's like the project is not, stockpiling food and bullets and getting ready the the project is breaking down the story that we're separate and being able to to heal because the the, the biggest thing that the big culture doesn't want is for men to figure out that they don't have to fear other men if we figured that out as individual men in a cultural basis the whole thing would come crashing down that's thing I think it goes for both. I think it goes for women too, because I think that I can see that for both sides. Totally, totally. <clears throat> and I think that's our biggest problem is that we're so afraid of of everyone, and we don't even know why we're afraid. Or or other people or people have been fed stories of other people that make them fearful, and that totally. makes them so fearful that they can't break down a wall to just extend a hand to say, "Yeah, what happened to you?" Because I know it happened to me. <clears throat> 
Um, connections, 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 community. It's all about all connections. That's right. And I, I've heard you speak a lot about community and some of the, and the stuff that I watched on YouTube and stuff. And mm. and that's obviously what you're all about is trying to build the community. Totally. I, Tim and I always talk about tools because this is a, we have bat belts and we got to have the utility belt filled with different tools. I wanted to ask you, um, what is your what is your either go to because you talk about a lot about getting quiet is meditation the first the first step or is there something else is it a question that we need to ask ourselves to even get ourselves to the point of wanting to sit on the cushion or sit wherever we are or be wherever we are because it's about presence yeah you know meditation if 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 you asked me to go and get quiet i would not go sit on a cushion that doesn't work for me uh what i would do is go for a walk in the hill in the hills you know i would go for a walk in the mountains i would go garden or do yard work for a couple hours, you know, mowing the lawn, even anything repetitive outside with the body. Um, that said, if uh, what I can do that will work for that when I don't have access to that is uh, breathe and move. And I will use embodiment as a way of, of quieting the mind by actually breathing and moving. It's another thing I do in my men's men's groups, but just um so taking for example fear beginning with fear this is a from the five rhythms but just moving it moving that through the body and just beginning with inhale like just and like allowing the fear to to move like actually moving it from the head down into the fingers and the whole body and moving actually moving in the space and and the sort of mantra is like, let the fear move, let the fear move using that inhale and five minutes of that. And you will find that whatever the fear or the story was that was gripping you has a whole lot less purchase because now it's been given permission to move. And it's actually not a story. It's not an imperative. It's just my old teacher, Adam Barley said, fear is information that wants to move and you've allowed it to move through the body. And now there's a whole different um, state that you're in. Wow, that's that was a great like I that was an awesome definition of fear. Love that. Mm. That was great. Great conversation, you know. Um I'm just thankful that we uh our 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 roads kind of collided and and we were able to yeah, uh, hook up with Peter. This is, you know, it's kind of rare to to get, you know, three men together and talk mental health and feelings and emotions and and admit, you know, we have fears. So, um you know, just having this conversation alone is, is, uh, I, I feel it's helpful. Mm. Peter, do you, um, ha I, and I'm sure maybe this has changed. Maybe it's not. And, um, and maybe you've asked yourself this question many times because it's, it's dependent upon the experience that you're having, but is there one fear that's played over all the other fears that you've noticed that comes up for you? For me personally? Yeah. And can we quantify one fear or is there, or is there multiple layers? Is, is fear like an onion, just like our emotions where there's different reasons or different levels of it or, or different things wrapped up in it? Yeah. I'm just trying to, 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 to find where I've been scared or where I've had experienced fear recently because you're asking for personal. And I, 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 um, I do think that fear is like you said, like an onion, like it's all connected and it ultimately wants a kind of physical expression. It wants a kind of 
you know, like in a lot of men's work, what is a common thing to do is to expand our capacity to be with physical discomfort because we may, so breath work or extended sort of physical Qigong holds like a tree, like a tree pose or my favorite um, meditation, my favorite standing meditation, man. I love tree pose. I love it. Oh, wow. Great. I do. Yeah. My, the April caves is my go-to like I, that's, like if that's the only thing you learn from Qigong, it's the best set of exercises that I, it just grounds me and, and it's just, it's awesome. The Badwa Jin is just like one of my favorite things. Yeah. And so as I, as you were saying that, it did remind me that I do have certain fears that, that occur and they might be physical fears, like fears, um, you know, of certain experiences, like, um, physical discomfort, you know, being too cold or being, uh, exposed and that they are, you know, or, or in, in relationship with my partner, you know, that might be a fundamental fear of being left that I have to sort of find underneath it. Um, and yeah, what, what, what's my relationship with those things? Obviously, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a white man with means in America. I'm not going to, freeze to death i'm not going to be left necessarily alone i'm a, I'm a 43 year old man so i have to find ways to extend those experiences if i'm interested in in fundamentally growing my relationship to trust my fundamentally growing my relationship to confidence which to me is, is all ways of saying fear does it has less of a grip on me and so physical fitness all the things that we do as men to um actively sort of expand our spirit and expand our physical presence these things are all going to bring us into contact with fear and, and and how we how we can extend for just a little longer how we can hang on for just a little i mean then this goes into pleasure as well because um our ability to be with intense pleasure is um ironically related to how we are with intense discomfort and how we are with fear because when we are um, so interested in having that orgasm and so interested in, in having the tension broken, that is related to, in a weird way, how we are with discomfort. And it's like to be able to expand our ability to be with discomfort will have impacts both in our ability to manage fear and our ability to be um, more expansive uh, and present lovers. Now, I was because the one big fear that I I felt for myself is was becoming a dad. Like that mm. was a huge fear for me. And I know now that you have an eighteen month old, you yeah. you've you've been through this recently. And mine just turned mine mine is not a baby anymore, and she's not a, teen, <laughs> she's not a teenager yet either. But I had a really big fear when I became a dad. I didn't like when I was first holding her. I was afraid I was gonna like hurt her or drop her or whatever. And I was kind of like expecting, like, what was that like? Was is this your first child? And what did that bring up for you, man? Like, it, well, yeah, because we're all parents here, so it's like there's there's a lot of there's a lot wrapped up in that cookie. Well, I appreciate that question because it reminds me of you know a whole thing that I went through um, at about three months. Um, I started to have this anxiety that just came out of nowhere and I didn't understand it. And I, I, somebody had shared with me, my a buddy had, that he'd had that. And I just remember thinking, God, like what, what, 
why, what are you scared of? What's wrong with you? Et cetera, et cetera. It's like, as you, and I don't know if this is, I don't know if what I'm saying is true broadly for everybody, but it's like, what came up for me? I didn't understand. And I don't know where it came from. And it came from uh, where I couldn't really see, but I struggled with sleep for six or nine months and there were a number of nights where I didn't sleep the entire night and had this immense anxiety and then had this really weird thing happened where I, um, just as I would fall, just as I was falling asleep, right? Like I'd be exhausted. And just as I was falling asleep, something would jerk me and I'd wake up. And it was like, it was completely autonomous. I couldn't, I couldn't go like, oh, here comes that thing where I'm going to wake up. Let's just soften and relax. It was like, after I softened and relaxed, after my, I fell asleep, I would wake up, which I mean, I would happen all night until the morning where I would be so cracked out that I would like literally be like on the couch at 5 a.m. finally going, oh, maybe I'll fall asleep now. And then I would, and it's just, it was scary. And uh, facing that and meeting that, which, and I, I did not want, and I, 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 I mean, it was a question of like, am I going to have to get on some anti-anxieties? Am I going to have to get on some drugs for this? What am I going to have to do? How do I deal with this? I mean, it was a journey. It was a journey. Um, and, you know, 18 months in, I guess, you know, what, 16, 15 months later from when it started, I'm good. I'm good. And it's been a, it's been a journey, man. That's good to hear, man. Cause sleep, as we know, sleep is, we need sleep and lack of sleep yeah. causes all kinds of issues going from mental issues for sure. Clarity, oh, yeah. all that stuff. It's like sleep is, and what happens is we get ourselves into that cycle of not being able to fall asleep. And we just constantly, it's just a record. The records keep dropping in the Olympic jukebox. Why aren't I falling asleep? Can I fall asleep? Oh. Why? It's, it's brutal. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. So I'm glad you've I'm glad that you've been able to continue on the journey and find your way to the next road out of that because that's well, it's still, important. It's, it, it still happens, you know. Like I still like last night, you know, he's up at two AM and I'm dealing with him. And then after I'm done dealing with him, I lay down and there's always that voice that comes in. What if I can't get back to sleep? What if I can't get back to sleep? And it's like learning how to deal with that, you know, and, and that's everything that we talked about is like taking sort of hold of the the parts and the voices and being able to settle them to return to a sense of calm and peace. I love it. I love it. When did you start this journey? Did this journey, did this journey stem from crisis? Were you, I obviously you, you were here in the capital region for college because, uh, you mm -hmm. went to a local college here, uh, RPI, if you don't mind me mm -hmm. saying, because we, we have a big presence in the 518, thanks to Nippertown. So any local connection we can make is always good. So it's awesome. Uh, Peter did go to RPI here in Troy. And um, what what's where did your journey start? Did you, like I said, did you have a crisis? Was it Was it something that was just always in you and then somebody just happened to prompt you? It's weird, you know, it's one of these things that's like, I've often wondered about this, like what, what is it that had it be that I went on my journey, so to speak, you know, and, and went on my journey when, and, and what I mean by going on my journey is beginning to want 
something more maybe than what I was given or something other or believe that there might be a personal sort of road for me or a soul destiny or some way of relating to reality that was more like the call to adventure rather than just the humdrum. And the way that I come to have now come to think about it is that, I mean, and it's also like what, what, what the reason this question is interesting, I think is because we all wonder like, why me and not that guy or why this and why, why, why didn't I wind up drunk or dead or why didn't I wind up this way or that way, you know? And like, for me as a kid, I, my parents fought a lot and I was diagnosed with ADD as a seven or eight year old and given Ritalin. And I was a bit of a mess at school and uh, didn't have a lot of friends and grew up in a very rich town in New England, uh, in Connecticut, um, near New York city with a lot of investment bankers. And my parents were divorced. Most of the kids in school did not have divorced parents. One of the only divorced families, we were not rich. So we had a lot of things sort of going against us, plus my mental health stuff, you know, it, it, I, I was put, I was, you know, sent to the nurse. And if I didn't at lunchtime, and if I didn't go to the nurse, the nurse would knock on the door, even in high school with a little paper cup and say, Peter, could you come out into the hall and take your pill? I mean, and the other, I mean, the other kids kind of making fun of me and that sort of initial vulnerability, not vulnerability, like, um, I don't know what the word is, but it's like, I was not, um, give it, I, I was, I was, I was not cool. I was not popular. It was not made an option for me to follow in the same sort of regular picket fence, wall street road that the other kids that I grew up with were offered. And so I was going to have to figure out what life meant for me and looking at my own father, again, going back to the genetics piece and watching him deal with a lot of the same issues. I can't, I looked at him and I thought, Okay. Or I looked at myself and I thought, okay, I've got ADD. Probably somewhat started from listening to my parents screaming at each other at the top of their lungs when I was seven or eight years old, trying to go to sleep. Why did that happen? Well, it happened because mom and dad don't like each other. Okay. Well, why'd they get married? Well, they got married because they met each other. Well, wait a minute. My dad felt like he had to have a kid because he wanted to get his life right because he hated his job. Okay. So he started with the wrong job. And so I sort of like followed it all the way back and I said, got it. So the first thing I have to do is figure out what I want to do. And then I can find the right partner and that all the things like everything flows out from that. And so I became obsessed with finding my quote unquote purpose. And after 20 years of failing to find it, I finally realized I could help other people. <laughs> and so I said, that's well, awesome. I was, I was my own first client. Yeah, there you go. But isn't that isn't that the school though? I mean, the, the school of life is that we're the you know we're the petri dish, and we have to figure out ourselves before we can help before we can even help anybody else. And that was the whole reason why this started. Like mm. Tim and I started this because we came both came through our own mental health crises and journeys, and it was just something. And you know, there's a little bit of you know selfishness because we wanted to learn more, and that's mm -hmm. you know the best way to learn is to teach. So. So the best and the best way to to learn and teach is to bring other people in and learn from them and and have your teachers be be people like yourself, man. Totally. I mean, there's a lot of need out there. Absolutely, there's, there's a, lot a lot of need. Of need I went out to there. I went to high school with a lot of people who a lot of them are great, a lot of them are fine, a lot of them are not going to need to go on this journey, maybe. 
And that's fine. You could argue that that's a tragedy and you could argue that that's fine. But there are people who are going to come to these big questions and they're going to look around and say, Where, who, can, who can walk alongside me while I figure this out? Because it's not, you know, you don't find it, you know, looking around. It's not, people don't want to talk about it. People don't want to deal with it. It's the thing that people would rather ignore. And that's why it's so sort of weird to even have, start to have those questions about like, who am I and where am I? And what, you know, I, I had a friend who, who when, again, I, I was not in Wall Street, but I had a couple of friends in Wall Street. And I had a friend who was the captain of the basketball team, most popular guy, all the girls. This, and I mean, everything that I wasn't. I mean, to even, to even talk to him in high school would have been like, he, I don't think he'd even talk to me. And, but, you know, we're friends of friends. And so after that, you know, I talked to him a few years after. And he said to me, I could never do what you did. I admire what you've done. And I admire the questions that you've asked and the ways that you've gone. But I could never have done that. He said, if I ever let on to the guys in my work that I was thinking about things like you, they would eat me alive and I would never be let back in. And he worked on a trading desk desk in you know in downtown manhattan and i was like wow i really appreciated that because i felt like hey here's the captain of the basketball team telling me the loser who takes ritalin is inspiring to him but he's also revealing to me that even with all of his resources and all of his popularity and his money and all these things that he doesn't have the courage to follow his own star wow that's yeah that's mind-blowing revealing. right there absolutely you know, it is and it makes you realize that wow, you know, you've you've actually created a whole path for yourself on your own, and and it's obviously the right path. Well, I had less to lose in a way, and that was what I was saying earlier: is that I wasn't offered the sort of traditional road. But yes, I I, I it did take courage at certain moments to choose certain things that that were uncon- unconventional, and I'm grateful that I did. It's been awesome talking to you, man. Uh, I don't want to keep up your whole day. Timmy, is there anything else you want to wrap up with Peter before we start the lightning round? I think you'll have fun with the lightning round. Oh, no, man, let's just jump into it. And all um, right. Yeah. Well, I'll just say before we dive in that it's been a real pleasure with you guys. I'm, I'm so impressed by both of you and, and just a lot of gratitude for taking time with me. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for you. sharing your time with us, man. Thank yeah, you for taking worth... time away from your baby and your sleep. Because like I said, man, <laughs> I, I should have realized, I should have looked and said, oh, he's in Colorado. We got to make this a little bit later. It's all good. It's what we do, you know, and I think it's it's um, it's how it's how we do it, you know. It's it's making right. the connections and, um, you know, meeting new people. So it's all part of it, all right? So we're going to yeah. dive right in here. Um, okay. Do you have a favorite or a least favorite word? A least favorite word or favorite word. I don't know what my favorite word. Let's see. I, I, I like the word numinous and I don't like the word inconvenient. <laughs> Where that came there from. you go. That's all right. <laughs> that works. That's awesome. I, I've this middle question has has always been about animals because animals are a really big part of a lot of our lives and animals are like children and everything. But I, I've I'm like jazz. I like to improvise. So I changed this question up now with everybody. Mm-hmm. But I've I've been sticking to this a little bit recently with some of our guests because it seems to get them to open up about something else. 
on this journey that you've been on in this path, what is one thing that what was what is one thing that you've learned about your capacity that you didn't know you had before you started this? Well, I guess I didn't know that I had a capacity to be with fear. I didn't know that I had a capacity to be with to improvise. It's funny that you say that to to be with a situation without knowing how to get through it to kind of just feel my way along. I didn't know that I had a capacity to, I'm just going to use the word empathy to be with myself or another man's um, experience in a way that was transformational, like not in a way that was a burden to me or that was sort of departing from my own self, but that was actually uh, finding more consciousness, like all of these things, as I found them were kind of like secret hacks that I didn't have as a kid. That makes like perfect sense, actually. Mm. I totally relate to that. Thank you. So the last question is, if there was something that you could do or that you would like to see done for mental health as a whole without any kind of restraint, what would it be? The word that comes to me is death. I think that they're the, the, the big bad beast that's lurking is our fear of death. And we have a culture that is, since you asked me to wave a magic wand sort of culturally, I would be for us to, uh, to look at and engage with and embrace our death our inevitable death personally, but also uh, the concept of death, the, the, the limit that it provides the, I mean, I, I'm not, whether you like Leon, Elon Musk or not. One thing that I liked about him is somebody asked him like, do you want to have people live forever? And he said, no, I think it's a good idea that we die because we need new ideas. And that was like, wow, that's refreshing because people like him are usually all about like life extension and living forever. But, if we could, as a culture, truly get the sort of, I'm going to say beauty of what death is and how to relate to death, it would transform uh, on down every other mental health thing because so much of what we're trying to keep propped up, I think, is ultimately our fear of dying and our fear of losing control and our fear of surrendering to the sort of wild at the edge of the forest that we don't want to, that we've, we've pretty much stamped out of every aspect of our society, but it's still there. And if we could get rid of it and upload ourselves to the internet, we would not me. I mean, we all would in, in a way that's, that's like the sickness we're all running from. And so to, to center death is how I would do it. Wow. I love, it's not very often that, we talk about death, although um, it's become a little bit more prevalent in my conversations with myself recently, just because I've realized that I'm not afraid of death anymore. When you get wow. to, well, it's just that this, I wanted to kill myself in 2013. Wow. And I think that you, when you get to a certain part in that journey, death isn't really scary. I think the thing that scared me the most, and I've said this to Timmy before is, is, is that trust in myself that 
I can trust myself to make the right decisions upon my journey and not and not keep well and again it comes to making mistakes and what we tell ourselves about the mistakes because it's those cognitive distortions again Mm -hmm. i think i'm more afraid of the i think i'm more afraid of not living than i am of dying nice that's beautiful yeah and that's an it's an incredible gift to others to to that what you can put out from that place of consciousness you try, you try. It's a, I'm a work in progress, just like the rest of us. <laughs> My road is still being, you know, there's a lot of road work going on. There's a lot of construction here. So, but at least the construction is positive. I can see the benefits from it and, and, and the roads are opening up. <laughs> nice. That's great. Thanks again, Peter, for uh, joining us today and, and having this conversation. Yeah, you bet. Thank you, Tim. And thank you, Will. You got it, Peter. Uh, you can find Peter at petervw.com. Uh, Peter's got stuff up on YouTube. Uh, is your YouTube the same, Peter VW, or is it? I don't know what my YouTube is. Um, <laughs> I don't really host to it too much. Okay. I looked but it you up by do... your full name, so and then some in the videos and stuff popped up. If you type in my full name into Google or YouTube, or well, there's probably links on my website. Um, but a lot of the, the, the videos and stuff and, and articles are on my website. So Awesome. Awesome. You can check out Peter if you're interested in, in consulta- consultation with him, a coaching session. Peter, it's been awesome. Congratulations on your new baby boy. I mean, oh, it's thanks, 18 Will. months is a little bit a little bit not quite new, but the newness never wears away. There's always uh-huh. something new for, for, these, for these babies. So. It's such a pleasure. I have such respect for you guys and just really heartwarming to spend time with you. Thank you both for your work and keep it up. You're very welcome, man. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, you betcha. Have a great day. All right. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Till next week. Be well. Be safe. Be above. Thank you for giving us a listen. New episodes every Wednesday. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can share, rate, review, and even subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Other ways to support the show? Follow us on social media. Share the content. Share our episodes. You can also buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash above ground pod. For further concerns, show ideas, or just to say hi, you can email us at abovegroundpodcast at gmail. Once again, thank you for listening and supporting mental health. Keep the conversation going and stay above.